0: Welcome to Engage Arizona. Today's podcast answers the question, should the paths of government and the church cross? And if so, how? Center for Arizona Policy's Chris St. John heads the Arizona Capital Project. He speaks with Greg Baker of the Iowa Family Leader, who has run a successful partnership between the shepherds of the church and the shepherds of the government. This church ambassador network has gone national by providing a different approach to serving, Here now is Chris St. John with part one of Shepherd to Shepherd.
1: Today, it is my pleasure to play host to a good friend, uh, my co-laborer in the gospel, Mr. Greg Baker from Iowa, my home state, a place that I love and call home. I don't care what anybody says. There is no better corn, sweet corn on the planet than Iowa. And I'll fight with anybody that says differently. But uh, Greg is... um, also, well, he's the executive vice, vice president of the family leader and then also directs the Church Ambassador Network and the Daniel Impact there in Iowa. So, Greg, thank you for being with me today on Engage Arizona podcast.
0: Well, it's great to be on here, Chris, and you're absolutely right. The motto here is always, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa.
1: It is Iowa. And uh, you and I get that, and I just wish we could adequately convey that to everybody that's listening <laughs> to us today. Well, do me a favor. Tell me a little bit about you. I know enough about you uh, that I could share some cool stuff, but if you would just share me share with us a little bit about you, your story, and what's brought
0: you to this moment in your life. So, first, little confession: I'm a native Nebraskan. <gasps> it was I know around here that's a big deal. So, I was born in Lincoln grew up in Nebraska until I was seven. Then my dad got transferred from Omaha to Des Moines. So most of my years, I grew up in a small town in uh, west central Iowa called Earlham. It's only about 1,200 people and uh, close to the county seat of Winterset. So you ever heard of the bridges of Madison County? That's us. Grew up in a non-Christian home. We were Christian by tradition. That's probably the best way to put that. So... We would go to church when Grandma came to town, and maybe catch an Easter service from time to time. But overall, I really grew up with no knowledge of Christianity, so I was pretty, I was pretty blue in the area. Um, went to University of Iowa for college, typical Big Ten university. Everything you expect out of Big Ten schools, we can expect out of Iowa City. Lived there for four years, loved it. So thankful for that experience. My graduating class was 41 in high school. My graduating class at the U of I, just in the College of Liberal Arts, was bigger than my whole town. (laughs) The College of Liberal Arts graduation was 4,000 people. The university ran 30,000. So it was a culture shock for me. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me, too. It really forced me out of my shell, forced me to really grow and build relationships with people. But Christ really had no part in my life there. Uh, I came to know Christ actually a year after I graduated from the University of Iowa, go Hawks. And it was on a governor's campaign of all places, Chris. A lot of people don't think, oh, go work on a political campaign and find Jesus. Well, that's <laughs> exactly what I did. though so I wasn't seeking him. Graduating in Iowa, I went through a time period of depression for a year. I was, all my friends moved away. No one, I was the only one to move to Des Moines. So I moved to Des Moines to work on this governor's race. And I would work 80, 90 hour weeks, but I had a lot of alone time still, even in spite of that. It's only so much you can work. And I didn't like alone time. It left me to think too much hmm. and led to some panic attacks. And I remember it was Christmas time of the two thousand. And nine. yeah, Christmas 2009. I went to the Walmart, bought a cross. And I just did kind of the Catholic symbol, you know, mm-hmm. the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I, I didn't know how to pray, but I just, I just felt like I needed to pray, so I kept doing the Catholic symbol and uh, bought a King James Bible. So they sold at the Walmart and opened up Genesis. I'd read a few pages and then um, get bored and would put it away. But th- this began my season of searching, and this is so crucial for me, because over that next few months, I would visit church after church after church, not sure what I was looking for, and I came to um, this point where this gal on her campaign, her brother died of uh, of cancer at the age of 28 years old, wow. and th- that really bothered me, he had uh I think a four-year-old girl, a little one-year-old boy. And this family was praising God in that. I'm Like, what cruel God would do this? Mm-hmm. And here I am wrestling with this God, and it hardened me for a brief time. Like this, I'm, I, I always kind of lean a little bit more atheist. It's like, you know, I am just atheist. These things are just too hard. There's no way God can be real. And I ended up going to this young man who's died funeral. And I probably visited 15 churches to this point. Not even sure what I was looking for. And I remember sitting there in his funeral. I said, This is it. This is what I've been looking for. I don't know what it is, but this is it. And I prayed that day, God, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. And one week later, um, this gal that we worked with, she would leave the campaign to help her family, as her brother had passed and she left behind uh, the two young kids. The gal that later became my wife, Ashley Pospichel at that time, came to work on this campaign, and she's what they called a new believer. And I remember being offended by that. I was like, what in the world is she? Was she a Muslim before? Like, <laughs> be believer. And she explained to me about this born again conversion like born again isn't that like a political group that votes and she invited me to church and it was april 18 2010 i gave my life to christ and literally i look at it um i grew up with the n64 I, i look at it as pushing the reset button on the n64 it's like my life had a drastic reset everything i believed Changed. I no longer knew I believed about anything, including politics. I ended up finishing off this governor's race, and then I thought I was I was done. The candidate mm-hmm. I worked for lost. And I said to myself, you know, I'm never going to do politics again. And I worked for non-union teachers association for quite some time. Then a guy named Bob Vanderplotts, who was my boss on the governor's campaign, hired me to work at Family Leader where I've now been for so my 10th year, no, my ninth year, excuse me, my ninth year this June. And originally I started as political director. That's all the stuff I knew. It's all I understood. And I thought, well, I'll just uh, do what I used to do, but I'll just get a bunch of Christians elected now. But it never fulfilled me. And I did that for a few years, Chris, and I know I'm giving you a little wind dance answer, but you asked a pretty big question. And, uh, I I did not feel satisfied, so I wrote a letter of resignation saying, "This isn't what God has for me." I go to church. I read about the Great Commission. I read about the gospel, and I can't do this anymore.
1: And as at the same
0: time, my position got eliminated. So I'm like, "Oh, I'm getting fired anyway." Hmm. So I guess, boy, that's another way to take care of it. And uh, Bob Vanderplas told me, "Greg, I want you to lead a church." Network. I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but I believe you're the guy to lead it. And I know Joe Chris laughed in his face, said, Having finished the Old Testament yet, I didn't know who Moses or David or Peter was a year ago. No, absolutely not. I'm not going to go talk to a bunch of pastors all day. I'm not even slightly qualified. He we said, Well, either you do this, so you don't have a job, and give it a try. So I gave it a try. and here we are, Chris, all these years later talking on a podcast together. So
1: yeah.
0: I obviously didn't quit.
1: No, you didn't. And I'm glad you didn't, Greg. I um, I mean, my follow-up question was uh, going to be, what is the Church Net- Ambassador Network and how did it get started in Iowa? And so you led right into to my second question. But, you know, you've shared a few examples with me of what the Church Ambassador Network is. And um, so maybe... Give me an example of what it's become since that moment when you tendered your resignation, Bob didn't accept your resignation, he eliminated your position, and then retooled uh, your job description quite a bit. You know, what does it look like as, as you know, I know well what it looks mm-hmm. like to partner uh, with a shepherd of the church and a shepherd of the government. But, you know, those listening to us today may not know what that looks like. Talk to me about, for a minute what that looks like. But then what um, what does church engagement not look like uh, mm. as, you, as you've really hit the reset button? on that, especially in Iowa, but then you've scaled that across the country in the last eight years.
0: Well the, it's been seven that was seven years ago now, and uh think this would be in other states is just um almost laughable when I think yeah. of where I was seven years ago. I literally just finished the old testament. it's amazing what do <laughs> in a period of time. So 2014, I known the Lord for four years. That's when the Church of Pastor Network started. I didn't know much, but the one thing I did know is I was leading a community group at our church that time. I was discipled. I was trained to raise up disciples, and I was raising up disciples. And uh, we had a community group that was multiplying and growing. So I said, this is the only thing I know. I know how to lead a community group. So I took that knowledge, and I've directly applied it. And I have ever since. The vast majority of my lessons have come from leading a community group. And my community groups, depending on if we just recently multiplied, range from 12 people up to 35, where we multiply again. And that's literally how we've treated the Daniel impact, the replication of other states, and it's how we've treated the Capitol. We we said from the beginning we wanted to create a subculture in the culture. That's what our community group does. I, I live in Des Moines. You live in Phoenix. I love Des Moines. God's given me a heart for this place. I want Des Moines to come to know Christ. I want to see church plants. I want to see people get baptized and raised up in the Lord, then baptizing others and raising up the Lord. I love this place. And and we love it by creating a subculture in it. It's like, what if we just directly applied this within the four walls of the Capitol building? What would God do? Hmm. So we just started bringing pastors up to the Capitol as shepherds of the church. And we start with the legislature. It's the most accessible branch. It's supposed to be the people side of the government. So we just simply had pastors the shepherds of the church pull out legislators as one of the shepherds of the government. We didn't have much of an agenda the first year. We were just, we don't even know if legislators would come out for prayer, let alone have an agenda. So we just prayed. We just really just prayed to see what God would do. And this is what was remarkable. Out of 150 legislators in Iowa, 145 of them accepted prayer. Only five turned it down. And out of those five, they weren't all one political party either. Hmm. And we, we found is what I've always believed. God is inconvenient for all people, regardless of party affiliation. And God loves all people, regardless of party affiliation. So you asked what church engagement is not. It is not partisan, and it's not bipartisan. It's nonpartisan. Hmm. And you might think, well, what's the difference between those? Partisan picks a side. Bipartisan picks both sides. Nonpartisan picks no sides. And what we've decided from day one, we've learned so much, but from day one we had this we will reach out to whomever God sends there, regardless of party affiliation, and we will share his word and pray for them all the same. We would never ask party affiliation when someone comes into my community group. Why am I asking it up there is the first thing I need to know. And we see the Lord do things that would shock people for that approach.
1: That's good stuff. You know, I, I remember when... I first came to Iowa and looked at this, uh, ministry firsthand with you and I got to sit in on a meeting with your, um, head of agriculture. And, uh, that was, that was a neat meeting for me to see that real, uh, and firsthand. Maybe if you could just explain that meeting or, you know, that kind of a meeting that you have with someone who is, um. In high office, you know, holds a lot of responsibility, at, in at state level, and and what you want to convey to someone that sits in in high office, what you want to go away, uh, leaving them with uh, what that how you structure that kind of a meeting, and and um, yeah, just just unpack that a little bit for
0: us. Absolutely. So we ministered to all three branches of government now: legislator, executive and judicial that we also do our federal office holders now it's easier in iowa because we only send six people to washington hmm. it's a little bit easier to take on than california where you would send 55 sheesh yeah but uh what we do is um and the meeting you're talking about rests in the state's executive branch and i'm very thankful for those meetings we usually get an hour with them which is really incredible and the lord opens doors i think that's the very first thing we, we don't do anything to get these meetings. We pray and God's got to show up. And I always thought, man, if uh, if Moses can get an audience with Pharaoh 10 times, what's my excuse? Hmm. Can you imagine having to request a meeting after, like, uh, turn the Nile into blood? Can we meet again? Yeah. But uh, God did it. And God granted audiences with Joseph, a prisoner with the Pharaoh, with uh, Daniel Nebuchadnezzar. So we knew God could open any meeting. So that's the first bit. God gives us meetings. Then because God gives us meetings, we know the most ultimate thing that we have is his word. So we believe that transformation happens when people view Christ accurately and rightly value him. We believe that transformation happens when people view Christ accurately and rightly value him. So our most important thing to do, so we'll use our Secretary of Agriculture as an example, is to help him accurately see Christ and rightly value him as a person and as our secretary, as both. And what we do is every meeting starts with a scripture passage. And depending on the day, sometimes we minister to just the person, Mike Mack. So we just minister to Mike. And we go through timeless truths of the Bible. How is God relevant to you as a person? but also sometimes we witness to Secretary Mike Nag, And who is the secretary? The secretary is the shepherd. Mm-hmm. In government, it has a shepherd just as much as the church does. It makes government tricky is pastors were the shepherds of the Bible. So that still applies really easily today. The king was the shepherd of government of the Bible. So we just have to dissect who's today's king is. So you just look at the powers God granted the kings and you just ask yourself, who holds that authority today? See, executive branches have been tossed into multiple pieces, the governor being the largest piece. But Mike Negus, a secretary, leads a department. He reports only to the people. So how do we teach him what does it look like to be a shepherd? What does that even mean? So we just walk through the timeless truths of the scripture of being a shepherd. First off, a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We know that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the chief example of that. Jesus isn't only the head of the church. The Bible says he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Paul, as a pastor, says imitate me as I imitate Christ. The king can say the same thing too. Imitate me as I imitate the king of kings. It is not on the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture's burden on his shoulders to determine what does it look like to to be a shepherd. Jesus did the hard work for us. We are to pursue him. But how does he know this without the church telling him? How does he know what it means to lay down your life? How does he know to not look to rewards from this earth, but in the life to come? The constant pattern of the Bible, you take a look at Moses. It says in Hebrews 11, he considered the reproach of the Messiah to be a greater worth than all the treasures of Egypt. Because his eyes were focused on his reward. You ever wondered why, how in the world did Moses not quit his job? (laughs) How did he not, like, why did he even not, like, let alone a two-week notice, why didn't he just quit on the spot? Why did he endure that for 40 years? It says right there. He considered the reproach of the Messiah to be a greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because his eyes were focused on his reward. Mm -hmm. Some will focus on pleasing people. Jesus calls them hirelings. In the political world, that's a politician. Some will focus on building their own name and achieving power and wealth. Jesus calls that the thief, and the political world's the tyrant, while others will look to the life to come. They'll look to the chief shepherd for the reward, and they'll lay down their lives for people. That's the good shepherd, and the political world, that's the statesman. So how do we bring these timeless truths to life for them? And then lastly, how do we help them solve the deepest needs in our communities? When the world falls apart in town, disaster, whatever it is, comes through, people turn to the church and the state. Thank you for listening to Part 1 of Shepherd to Shepherd, a discussion with Greg Baker. Please listen to Part 2 for Greg's insights on building relationships with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to find common ground on public policy.